welcome to episode four of What Are You Doing? Today I'm interviewing my friend, Aria Kashufi, who yeah. <laughs> I got his name. <laughs> How would I pronounce it? Aria Kashufi. No, you're really close. <laughs> All right, Aria, let's, let's start it off. What are you doing? So I'm in Ottawa, mm-hmm. and um, I'm just finishing up my undergrad in health sciences, and um, I'm going to be starting my master's degree in epidemiology next year mm-hmm. at the University of Guelph. Um, and yeah, I've been, I've been in Ottawa for the last five years. Where are you originally from? Uh, I was born in Iran, and then... We immigrated to Canada when I was six. Lived in Ottawa. Uh, first we were in Toronto, then in Ottawa. I didn't know that. Yeah. You know, Toronto, then Ottawa. And then we moved to a little town called Alston, Ontario. And then from there, um, my dad moved to Everett. And like this was after they split. And then my mom lived in Alston for a little while. And then she went to uh, Windsor. Um, so by that time, I was already at the University of Ottawa. Um, but yeah, so kind of all over the place. I've yeah. been around. How annoying is it? Or can I ask? Yeah. Um, how many people get confused with health sciences and kinesiology? Uh, almost everybody. Yeah. Um, it's actually funny. Like Dana and Sam, uh, mm-hmm. we joke about this. Like, like we <laughs> we talk about how we hated uh, when people mix it up. Um, because like health science people would always look down on, like, kinesiology and, like, HK people. Mm-hmm. Like, realistically, we all took pretty much, like, the same courses. Yeah. Um, I think our courses were a little bit more geared toward academia, like, research and giving us, like, a broad um, look at the field because they knew a lot of us wanted to be doctors, but they knew the reality of the situation was that most of us wouldn't be doctors. Mm-hmm. So they kind of wanted to give us um, different looks at the field and see what other um, kind of jobs we could get in the in the kind of health field. But it's, yeah, a lot of people think that they're kind of one and the same, um, but they're not. They're totally different. So you're pursuing epidemiology, looking at the mental health in high performance sports was it just or? uh just student athletes just student yeah. athletes yeah what per- or push you to pursue that i think in the last like few years uh, talks about uh student athletes and like mental health and sport has just kind of been taking off and uh with people being more open to talking about their mental health um it's, it's really uh, opened the door for like researchers to be able to actually conduct studies and be able to you know provide resources and um, programs that actually help people with like mental health issues and particularly like student athletes students on campus because you know every every university wants to say that they care about mental health but like the reality is like they don't actually give a shit um, that's my personal view. That's not like me talking about whatever program. Like my personal belief is that the universities don't really care about the student mental health. There's not, you know, there's not adequate facilities to help students with their mental health. And then when you put the, you know, the restriction that, you know, these kids have to go to their classes, they have to get a certain GPA, you know, they have to spend this many hours like at practice. Like it's, it's a lot to put Mm -hmm. on people. And then when you don't give them the resources they need as like human beings and then as athletes to succeed, 
think that's where you start to see a lot of these mental health issues that are becoming a lot easier to talk about now. For your time at the University of Ottawa, what has been a favorite course of yours? So it seems like you're kind of in the psychology field a little bit, or yeah. that's where your interest kind of lies. Can you yeah. speak on one of your favorite courses? I So I took, um, I think I'm right now I'm at probably eight uh, undergrad courses for uh, psychology, mm-hmm. um, which is like, it's a fair number considering like I've taken probably like somewhere around 45 courses. Um, I think psychopathology was really cool. Uh, that It helped that I took that with two friends. Um, Can you speak on psychopathology a little bit for those who might not know what it is? Yeah, so it's the it's the course that we took. It um, I forget it was Giorgio Tasca that was our prof, and it was uh, psychological disorders, um, and we focused a lot on the uh, DSM four. Um, so it's a diagnostic and statistics manual for uh, diagnosing uh, mental disorders. Um, so it was really cool. We, you know, studied anything from like eating disorders to, um, like, um, body, like dysmorphia disorders, um, multiple personalities, like stuff like you'd seen a movie, like mm-hmm. schizophrenia. Um, and then there's obviously stuff like depression, anxiety too. Um, so that, that was a really cool course. Uh, and then I think, right up there with that would be epidemiology it's a fourth year health science course uh and that one was a lot about you know what you would expect in the master's program stuff like calculating risk and um that was a good prep prep course for you then how do you foster positive mental health michaela i'm glad you asked (laughs) (laughs) because i've been practicing this one (laughs) um i think it's really important to have uh, like a diverse group of friends and a robust network uh something that i learned in several of my psychology courses is that the importance of having a network that is uh, very versatile so um imagine if you're um a an older gentleman and your you know spouse has passed away and you've retired you know, most of the time this person doesn't really have like a great network because like the fact of the matter is that when you get to a certain age, like your children have their own lives. Now, if you were fortunate enough to have children, they have their own lives. So they don't visit as much. They don't call every day. Um, and the person that you spend the most time with is usually your partner. And if your partner has passed away, like that really isolates you and like, one of the exams I just took the other night, um, one of the themes in the course was uh, aging and how that has an impact on neurocognitive disorders and the fact that isolation um, leads to like a rapid development of neurocognitive disorders, so uh, especially in old age. So I think having like a, a network of friends that's really robust and always there for me is, is huge. I, I know... Um, in my house, I can talk to any of the guys openly about anything and like, they're not going to judge me, you know, they don't care what I've done or, you know, like who I've upset or who's upset me. Like they're, they're always going to be there to talk to me. And I think that's one of the biggest things is surrounding yourself with people that are going to be there for you. Um, cause a lot of people think that they have this network that's robust, but do you really have like a good network if 
you go missing for two days and like nobody nobody's trying to find where you are right like if nobody's asking like hey man haven't seen you in two days are you okay like i know the friends that i have would ask ask. yeah so i think i think that's great you were speaking earlier about the benefits when we were chatting about the benefits of exercise and stuff yeah what else can you do to make sure you're keeping yourself happy uh so one of the uh researchers at the university of guelph is actually writing um their thesis on how the feeling of um belonging to a community uh is beneficial to your mental health um especially in terms of like uh, depression and anxiety uh so they've actually found that any feeling of like being part of something bigger than yourself um that's like, why it's not it's not uncertain to check but it's yeah. not uncommon uncommon for people who are kind of going through a rough time to like find jesus or like belong exactly, to yeah. a religion or something exactly. you don't want to feel like you're alone and that there's you know, yeah. no meaning um so yeah totally you're totally right like um people will um people will think that you know exercise is what is you know good for your mental health um but we don't know if it's just the exercise or if it's, you know, confounded with uh, another variable that might be, you know, if you're not sitting in your bed all day by yourself, if you go outside and you see five or six people, you say like, hello, they smile at you. Like that's enough to like change your whole outlook. Totally. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it changes your day. Right. And if you go outside to exercise, if you go to the gym or something, you know, you interact with people like just small conversations like that. That's huge. And people think that like oh, okay exercise is really important like yeah it's the exercise that's important um like there's tons of physiological changes that happen when you regularly exercise but having a routine is also important right if you're going to the gym every single day you're probably going to like sleep better which is in turn like a good sleep schedule is going to lead to better mental health and that too um leads to you know developing these relationships with people if you go to the sit like the gym at the same time every single day you start to see the same people you start to become friends with them maybe they want to like enjoy the same stuff that you do maybe they want to like make plans with you right that that gets you out of the house that gets you out of your bed like sometimes um you can't get out of bed because of like your depression or because of your anxiety but a lot of people can force themselves to do that and they'll find that they'll actually their mental health will improve if they try to do that you had also made an excellent point earlier um and i i had interviewed someone else who made a similar point about how you're you're supposed to experience like feelings of guilt and loss and grief Mm, like those are just natural cycles yeah yeah so it's my brother's telling me this he was listening to uh i think it was joe rogan and you know, Joe Rogan said, you know, if you're like, if you're 30, you're living in your parents' basement and like, you don't have a job, like all your friends are successful because like they've moved on with their lives and like they, they have their own stuff going on and like nobody's hitting up your phone because like, you know, you don't know anybody that's like not busy. Um, like maybe like depression and that feeling of like not wanting to get out of bed, maybe that's a normal physiological reaction to have in your situation. Like, yeah, maybe maybe it is um because humans aren't supposed to live their lives like that so maybe that physiological reaction is what you're supposed to feel if you're like not doing anything with your day like yeah like i hate to say it but like that that might actually be a normal reaction Mm -hmm. yeah 
sad, but like, yeah. it's really dark. But it's like, you know, like if like get get out of bed, like try, um, like especially for me, like seeing my family go through like their mental health uh, issues. It's really it's really tough to see them on bad days, but when they do get up and they do go out, like for example, um, one of my family members really struggles with social anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, so like one of their coping methods is to like isolate themselves. Yeah. They, because yeah. like they, they don't want to be around other people and they, you know, um, just want to be alone. But when they take that initiative to go like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to see like whoever today, I'm going to see Aria and that's, that's going to be the first step. And then, you know, when I see them, I go, Hey, like, let's, let's go outside. Let's, let's just go for a drive and like, let's go to the store. Let's buy some like food. Mm-hmm. whatever that is enough for them to like go out because one of the one of the methods like um psychologists use uh when they're trying to treat people like this for example social anxiety is um it's a it's a method of getting them to deal with whatever their like feelings they're experiencing so for example they try they change the like the thought process um behind what is happening so they they think like okay um for example if i'm the patient if i think like i'm gonna go outside and like someone's gonna see me and they're gonna like uh they're gonna make me feel really bad they're gonna like make fun of like the way i look um or i'm gonna get into like some kind of physical altercation that i don't want to be a part of um then they start to like spiral out of control Mm -hmm. it's a slippery slope and they think that you know event a going outside leads to event d which is you know getting beat up in the street or you know getting like feeling awful because someone Mm -hmm. made fun of you rejected or whatever yeah so you you like it's exposure therapy so they slowly expose them to like small things so like okay let's just go for a walk around like your house okay and so let's go around like your property for a walk like you, you went outside nothing bad happened so we've spoken quite a bit about your academic scholarly side of your life can we speak on your athletic success and what you do uh, yeah uh, <laughs> gets nervous <laughs> oh it's funny you say that though because it's like it's it's tough to be like athletically successful in terms of rugby because like you're you're always just one person on like just a team you know what i mean like it's it's never you being like the reason you're successful you know like you as one person can't make the difference um on a team um because it's that's why i love rugby right because it's it's 80 minutes long Mm -hmm. so it's not like you can come on for like a shift and then really just change the game in a period or something right Right. like you you're grinding away for 80 minutes you're always trying to win possession of the ball back and there's 30 guys on the field at a time and every single minute it's a grind and everybody's got to be doing their job so it's it's tough when you say like like somebody successful in rugby when it's really like the team is successful, right? And I've been very fortunate because I've been on the GGs and we went from being like a joke with like an awful coach to being like a legitimate program. The guys are varsity now and like kudos to them because they put in a lot of hard work and so is Steph Crawley. Um, and they, they really turned the program around. And like most recently I played with the Griffins and, Again, you're just one guy on that team. And if you're lucky enough to be, like, part of the 23 in the match, like, on game day, like, fantastic. Like, 
you have a job to do and if the team is, success, is successful it's because like everybody on the team did their role how does rugby the sport or that program or that coach cultivate that sense that make people want to buy in like what is it about mm-hmm. rugby and like i have my own ideas yeah it's that's a tough one it's i think personally um there's going to be coaches that you want to play for and for me i've always played for my teammates and played for the coach and that's been because of like the culture in the program um because the way i see it is if you have like a very successful team um and an awful team culture like that success can quickly like dwindle away a couple players leave coach retires whatever it is that team is no longer no longer you know deemed successful by the guys in the program because the only thing they valued was winning Mm -hmm. and you take that away so what do you have now you have nothing whereas if you had a team that is built around a great culture built around a great coaching staff like players that come they stay they want to play they care for each other they care for the coaches they care about the values of the team um that's a program that's going to be successful and i think rugby really fosters that because there's no space for like an allergy i was just about to say in a book like uh that was written about leadership lessons from the all black mm-hmm. they talk about purpose and how yeah. purpose plays in with performance yeah and they say like the greater the purpose the higher the performance yeah so it's whatever you you have to choose that why or like who you're playing for or whatever it is and find that purpose and that's how you make a, or have a better performance yeah well you look at a team like like fiji they're set inside like very dominant and these are like fantastic athletes fantastic rugby players but these guys don't have fancy equipment mm-hmm. um you know they have like very good athletes but like these guys aren't what you see like in england that are like very rich wealthy families i was like, gonna say and like a, a history and exactly. a tradition of playing that sport so. yeah right so and if if you go into a sport where everybody that you've ever learned from has been respectful and taught you values of the sport um, that are universal. Uh, it's really tough to be the first person to break, you know, uh, formation. Yeah. yeah, and you don't you don't want to be that guy because you're not going to fit in. And humans, we just we want to fit in. Like we want to be liked and we want to be accepted. So it's really tough to want to play a team sport and be the first one to try and like change things for the for the worse. Um, so I think it kind of trickles down from the origins of the sport uh and kind of the top dogs like you look at new zealand you look at fiji like i think pacific islander teams are where i'd like to see um our role models coming i was just about to ask how do you see the game in canada progressing yeah like there was one guy that i met while i was out west his name was clayton panga and this guy is what i think every like rugby player should be the guy was hardworking respectful like his first time meeting me um you know he drove me to training with the squad like very nice guy told me all about his life um you know i was just like i was an 18 year old kid like living by myself out there and this guy's you know 30 something playing for canada like driving me out to langford do training and he was nothing but polite helpful mm-hmm. and took that time even just to get to know yeah you. exactly and it's he didn't have to do any of that but the fact that he did do that speaks a lot about um, 
who he was as a person, and it just happened that he was a Kiwi. So it was crazy. Like I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe somebody that nice existed. And I hope more people. Oh. Yeah, I hope more people um, are like him, and I hope as you know Canada takes rugby more seriously, especially with like Toronto arrows being pro now. I really hope that more people are like that and the culture really spreads. Because I think if people give it a chance, that they will fall in love with the sport. 100%. Yeah, and, um, yeah, I'm, like, seeing this new avenue with coaching. Mm-hmm. And you naturally, you play n- number 10, so which is already kind of a leadership position by proxy. And do you see yourself coaching in the future? Yeah, uh, I ref a lot. Um, oh. So whenever I'm not refing in the summer, I'm, I'm helping coach. Um, so I helped coach U17 Barry last summer, um, for the last couple, like, summers I've been helping coach my old high school team whenever I can, um, and that just goes to show you, like, we've, we've had guys like me go in and out of the program from my high school, and they always come back because give program, something back. Exactly, because mm-hmm. the program was just, it gave us a lot, like, there was guys that, you know, would have been in jail if they didn't play on that team, because... Mm-hmm between the hours of like three and five they were expected to be at practice and you know those are times that people if they aren't you know if they don't have somewhere to go and be productive those hooligans yeah exactly like they're, they're being delinquents so mm-hmm. there i think that's another thing is the the capacity that the game has to take in people anybody like if you if you want to play rugby they will find a spot for you and people will welcome you mm-hmm. that's my favorite thing about rugby is yeah. it doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, and what exactly. not, you're welcome. Yeah. How do you balance the student-athlete lifestyle? Uh, I think it's... I think it's student first, and then athlete second. So, for me, I prioritize school. Uh, and that's just because of a promise I made to my parents. Uh, I'm very lucky because both my parents um, are in the like healthcare field. Like, my mom's a midwife, my dad's a surgeon... And they worked like their asses off to get to Canada. And, you know, my dad had to write all of his like certificate, like all of his tests again to get certified to practice here. Um, So I'm very lucky that if I wanted to, uh, I could spend more time playing rugby and less time going to school. But uh, I think I owe it to them, um, especially since they do pay for my schooling, that I take it very seriously. So I focus on school first. And then everything else is, it's kind of extra after that. So, you know, if I have the time to go to practice, which I usually do, um, I go. Uh, One of my trainers actually at Guelph, um, he said his quote that I love. You know, he said, if you say you don't have time for something, what you're actually saying is you didn't prioritize your time properly. And he's right. Like, for me, it's never been an issue. Like, oh, coach, I can't come to practice. I have to, like, study for this. It's like coach I, I can't come to practice because I slept in because Did I was up late last night yeah. exactly so for me like school's always been first but rugby has always been up there and I've always had time for rugby um, and like being a student athlete I think what is like really tough about being a student athlete is people don't understand just how much time it takes because they think like okay well like yeah practice right but yeah it's not just that like I go to class and like it's not possible to it is possible like some people do it but it's really hard to keep up with a kid that goes to class goes home they live at home so like food's ready for them they don't have to pay for groceries they don't have to pay for 
you know, travel expenses. Um, they don't have to pay. They don't for, have to like, prepare the food. Yeah, they don't have to pay for them. rent. So they don't, they don't have really any expenses because they live at home. Um, and they don't have to stress about grocery shopping and balancing time, doing this. Like, oh, you know, I, I need to move out this day. I need to move in this day. Uh, so they get to go home. They get to, like, have food that's ready for them. And they get to study. Uh, for a student athlete, uh, and, like, kudos to football guys, uh, especially at the University of Ottawa, because, you know, these guys... And, like, this is when it kills me. Um, There's, like, a, like an argument on Spotted at U Ottawa. I think it was last year. Like, some people were bitching that uh, student-athletes get, like, too much privileges. Like, they get study rooms and stuff. But, yeah. You know, like, football players, for example. Like, in season, these guys have meetings, practice. The amount of meetings is absolutely astronomical. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, meeting, practice, meeting, which mm-hmm. that sounds redundant. And then they have to go to all their classes the same that, like, everyone else does. Uh, then they have to find time to eat. Then they have to go to the gym, um, yeah. which is mandatory. That's like what that's expected of them. And then more classes if they have it, which they probably do. And then more practice and then more meetings. meetings I know. And it's... then they have to find time to sleep. Yeah. It's... So like, and then wake up for like a 6am run. <laughs> exactly. And they have, they have to do that five days a week, like mm-hmm. usually six. Cause you know, you might get Sunday off if like you play Saturday or whatever, mm-hmm. but like for, for rugby guys, like we play Saturdays, Sundays are day off, and then, again, we're, like, right back into it. But, like, you know, we don't have as many meetings as, like, football guys do. And, like, again, kudos to those guys because that is a tough lifestyle. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that really struggle with that because getting up at 6 definitely would not work for me. Mm-hmm. And then having to sit through meetings, more practice, and then, you know, starving all day. Plus, then you're struggling to, like, you know, you can't work. Mm-hmm. Like, so you're struggling to, like, eat food because you can't afford it. And then you got to pack your own food. So for student athletes, um, I think it's really tough that the university gets to boast about the achievements of, you know, having a top rugby program, soccer program, football program, whatever it is, when really these student athletes are being exploited. So the university can flex on other universities and say like, hey, you should come to our school, pay us tuition so you can be a part of this program and this legacy but you're not going to get like any advantage um, school-wise. You're actually going to be suffering in school. You know, you're struggling to pass, and then like after your four or five years, whatever it is, your eligibility is done, uh, you're still expected to like finish your degree. And you're expected to donate a significant amount as yeah, soon as you're exactly. <laughs> graduating. Yeah, and then like good luck, like get a job now, um, mm-hmm. and then and then pay back your student loan. So yeah, it's it's really tough being a student athlete. Um, but I, I was very fortunate, like I said, to have like parents that supported me and I didn't have to worry about work, for example. Mm-hmm. So that was like a huge burden off my shoulders. But, you know, I'm not everyone's that lucky. Well, it's good that you acknowledge that because some people I think would just yeah kind of take it and run and not really think about it. But taking that moment to say, yeah, I'm grateful that I don't have to take on something else. It's pretty cool. Have you been back to Iran since you've been in Canada? We went back when I was in grade six just to visit, mm-hmm. um, <coughs> and yeah, it was it's different, right? Because like you're when you're six, like you have this idea of like what the country's like, and then you go back when like you're twelve, and then you know you see like stuff from the news when you're twenty, and then like we can't go back now if we're like for Iranian and they found out we're Iranian, they would make 
um, me and my brother stay for military service because if you're yeah if you're really? older than eighteen, force conscription yeah so you gotta serve two years, so for us to go back is not really an option. Yeah, that happened to my friend in South Korea actually. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Like they they wouldn't want to risk like detaining two Canadians like mm-hmm. it'd just be a bad idea, but like yeah we we haven't gone back. I don't really have a an interest in going back. No. The only like tough thing is my dad. Like, his entire family is in Iran. And, mm-hmm. like, the toughest thing for, like, me was seeing um, my dad so sad that he... Because he felt really guilty about not being able to help his family more. Yeah. And, like, he's very successful. And his, like, his family's very hardworking. And um, he hadn't seen his dad since, like, since we visited last, last time. And he wanted to get him over to Canada. And, unfortunately, he passed away... Um, last year so yeah was it last year so yeah it was really tough for him so he felt really guilty um that he he couldn't have like done more for him um kind of felt like he let his like dad down Mm -hmm. which was really tough to see your dad like that like like my dad's my hero so it was was really tough saying that but i don't have an interest in going back i know for my dad it was really tough not being able to go back more Mm -hmm. but yeah he was busy trying to like have his own life and that's like I and said. that's the thing too like you can't feel too badly about that because i'm sure like your grandfather his dad would have yeah. wanted him like him to be selfish in that way and make the best choices for yeah them. yeah it's it's just tough because like you you always think you have more time yeah. there's a really good song it's a country song <laughs> it's like talking about like time like you wish you had like done things because you mm-hmm. always thought you had time but you don't um, right well we're kind of running out of time here but i've very much enjoyed conversing with you and typically I try and get like a quote of the week or a quote you might have in your back pocket. And you had the really good one about time. Yeah. I'm just wondering if you have any other ones that you can pull out. Hmm. Give me a second. Cause I, I have lots of great ones that I love. Okay. Uh, one of our teammates here, actually his best friend's dad just passed away. Oh no. Yeah. So he just found out today. He's like, he was heartbroken and yeah, he's in shock. So, um, he, he was at a loss for words he's like you know like what do I do like like I'm, I'm so lost like what do I, do I call my friend do I like, what do I say I said like there's nothing you say that's going to change it obviously right but that's that's life and um, I think the only thing you can take away from this is and this is when I told him the quote I said uh, the people that died yesterday had plans for today right like nobody expects to die um, obviously terminally ill people, but like, yeah, the people that died yesterday had plans for today. So make sure you actually live your life the way you want to be living it, not for somebody else. Deep. Yeah. <laughs> wow. What a way to end it. <laughs> Do you have any tips or advice or, um, I don't know, give us a quick for people who don't know what they're going to do. Um, Aka, if you're talking to me and I don't know what I'm gonna do, avoid any like any business opportunity that tells you it's multi level. Pyramid marketing. schemes. Yeah, you don't. Ah! Pyramid schemes. Right, I've gotten caught in two. Yeah. See, like, so avoid though. It's anybody that hits you <laughs> up with like, "Hey, girl," or like, "Lululemon ambassador." Yeah. Honestly, if you like share that Lulu ambassador like thing, like, fuck you. Wouldn't you. be like, I, I hate you so much. Um, <laughs> but no, like, yeah. Don't don't be in a rush to, to go anywhere. Thanks. Just like when I was when I used to do jujitsu, my instructor would always say this thing. He was like, you know, 
like people always worry about the destination. So he's like, they always worry about the finish, like how they're gonna choke the person or like the submission. But he's like, if you don't know how to get there, like you're not gonna be able to get there. And they're like, journey well, and you'll always get to where you want to go. So like, if you if you live your life the way you want to live it, the end result wherever you end up at the end of the day is where you want it to be and like you'll be happy with where you are at the end of the day i really like that well we're excited to well i'm sure the listeners are too excited to find out and see what happens next on your journey yeah <laughs> but thank you so much for speaking with me today it's my I pleasure truly appreciated it <laughs> um yeah any waiters out there want to give me some feedback or comment subscribe or have a story they want to share please let me know and i will talk to you later peace and love my friends